Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. The film is called The Cuban and is a musical journey of love, friendship, and the power of imagination. It is the story of a young woman who, as a pre-med student, has really given up her dream to be a singer. She's working in a retirement home, helping Alzheimer's patients, and she is an artist at heart, and she wants to pursue the things that make her happy. She meets one of the patients by the name of Luis Garcia, who changes her life. And that is, in many ways, the, the heart and soul of this wonderful film called The Cuban. And we're joined today by the director of The Cuban, and that would be Sergio Navarreta. Sergio, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you. Let's start with the backstory behind The Cuban, because it's a very interesting one. This is a project that you, is really, it sounds like it's very near and dear to your heart. Tell us a little bit about how it came to be. Well, it is indeed a very personal film. I guess tough to make from an emotional level, but so satisfying and, and cathartic in so many ways. Um, the way it came to be is I was coming off a long and grueling schedule uh, on an animation movie. I had met the young actress, Anna Golia, who was coming off Degrassi. And I'm always interested in, you know, up and coming new artists uh, who have fresh voices. And I said, if you have any ideas or if you want to collaborate, I'm very open, open to that. And she came back with her partner at the time, Taras Colton, and he had had a dream about his grandfather and he was feeling the weight of that and the guilt of that disconnect between those generations. And, and I thought, you know, what a wonderful theme to explore is our disconnect between the younger generations and, and our elders in society. And it's something I think somewhere along the way was lost as, you know, uh, people are working now more than ever, even during this pandemic, ironically, um, you know, we have, we've been forced to basically put our elders in long-term care facilities. And, you know, it's, it's, um, we've seen recently, you know, there's been a light shine on that whole industry and, and just how, what a disaster it has been. And in some ways we've collectively as a society failed uh, our, our elders. Around the same time, uh, my father had passed away suddenly, he was 71. He had been um, an active and strong figure in the labor movement. and you know, it was just such a tragedy that a lot of his stories were never documented. I was dealing with the guilt of that. You know, I wish I had spent another day with him and asked him more questions. And, you know, as a filmmaker, it was almost embarrassing that I, that I didn't document those stories and that history. So this film for me was very therapeutic, very cathartic. And I wanted to deal with the issues of, of ageism and, and Alzheimer's in a, in a sensitive way, in an authentic way. So I give a lot of credit to the writer, Alessandra Pichon, who did a great job working with scientists and researchers months and months in advance of writing the script, just to really understand the complexity of what is a debilitating disease in society. But the other important thing, as a filmmaker, you want to entertain and deliver and, and really give people an experience and, and a ride, an emotional ride. So the music, the Afro-Cuban jazz really provided a vehicle for me to make something that's heavy and uncomfortable, palatable. So that, that was the fun part for me, is just like, how, how, how do we make a theme that uh, a lot of us don't want to face and make it entertaining? So as you can see, probably from our trailer and some of our marketing materials, the distributors 
you know, don't even focus on Alzheimer's. It's really a movie about a relation, an unlikely relationship between these two characters, Luis and Mina. Thank you for that answer because it it really forms the the kind of the context for the film in this relationship between uh, between Mina and Luis Garcia. You're absolutely right. Let me go back to something that you you mentioned about how we treat the elderly and how I'm from my own experience. I have some, some it's touched my life in terms of Alzheimer's and it's, it is obviously an important part of the film and uh, to watch people sort of disappear in front of you um, is, is, Mm. is something that's very difficult to, to, to watch. But also in this film, I thought you were appropriate in the way that um, Luis Garcia's character is, He's in and out of sort of a more uh, a recognition of where he is and his connection to the people around him. And then he, sometimes he isn't. And that was my experience as well. There would be mm. times where they completely mm. connected. And there's something else in the film, which is just critically important, and that is music. And I yes. watched it. I watched it as well, how people connect to music uh, with the dementia. And I think it's something about where it goes into your brain. It bypasses an awful lot. I, mean, I think of the sort of the, the uh, filters that we have in our brains for a lot of good reasons, but nonetheless, it, it seems to transcend that. And I thought all of the things in this film work in ways that, that are appropriate to the circumstances. Um, and even the, the role of the healthcare supervisor, all of those things are ex- almost exactly as I remember that, to experience them, how there's a certain agenda that's, that takes place in a, in a home, like where mm-hmm. we find Lewis. And then there's the other part, which is the humanity of the people in it. And yes. So, and so I was just, I, my question has to do with finding that balance, that tone that you're able to establish in the Cuban. Sounds like it was well, very important. Yeah, go ahead. It was important. And I had the good fortune, well, good fortune. I mean, I'm saying I had the, the experience firsthand. So I had uh, first, my first experience with this was um, a relative where I went into a nursing home and she mistaken me for a soldier she had known in World War II. And when I looked in her eyes, I knew that whatever she was experiencing in her mind was as real as me standing there. So I always liked the theme of the exploration of the imagination and how powerful that really is. And really challenging this idea of reality. What is reality? You know, there was another case um, in a local hospital in Toronto, Baycrest facility there, where a patient, a Jamaican patient, thought she was a Jewish doctor. Um, So she would practice all the Jewish uh, uh, holidays and walk around with a stethoscope. And rather than scold her and correct her, they supported her in her experience because that was what was real to her. So I think um, that's sort of where the new approach is going is that rather than trying to bring them into our world, into our reality, we have to accommodate their their current realities. And uh, music certainly is being studied by top scientists and doctors in the world. The power of music. Uh, we use music on set. I used it between takes. I used it to get myself out of bed in the morning to push through my own angst and fear uh, every day when I'd approach the set. So having the music before the shoot really helped, I guess, get everybody into that same mindset. I can't say it enough how, how you know, even during this pandemic, how music has played such an important role to lift our spirits. And uh, it's just wonderful. The, the story of the Cuban is not just Mina. There are other elements within the story. It's her relationship to her aunt played by uh, Sheree 
Agdashlu, who we yes. know from the House of Sand and Fog and Academy Award nominated actress, an amazing mm-hmm. performer. And Incredible. Yes, yeah, she is. And she brings, uh, again, she brings so much sort of bearing to her, to her roles. There's something about her and the way she approaches her roles that you, you, she's, she just brings a lot to it on a personal level. And, and it comes across in, in, in this particular performance. Uh, Louis Gossett, who is, who is Louis? Um, uh, Louis Gossett Jr., let me get his name uh, correct. And, and uh, he's, he's wonderful. And this is a tricky role. Uh, it is. I would, I would just ask you to sort of articulate, if you would, what your notes were to Sheree uh, and to Lewis in terms of how they were approaching the, the roles that they play in. You know, at the core, if we look at it like an orbit, um, at the core, at the center of the orbit is music. So music and, and how all the other characters sort of rotate around the music is kind of a metaphor that I use to, to talk them through certain scenes I mean, Lou just takes, you know, a note and brings it to another level. I mean, everyone saw the magic in the room. I think everybody was high-fiving behind the monitors and looking around just saying, wow. You know, he's telling a joke one minute and then I call action and he just goes there. And just, it's just 60 years of experience and there's no, you know, it's not a coincidence that he won an Oscar and that he's just so celebrated. He's wonderful. And Sharia Gdashlu, I mean... There was a scene when she's on the couch with a glass of wine. I mean, there's no dialogue. You know, there's very little happening physically. And she just gives so much. I just whispered in her ear. I told her one thing. She knew where I was going. And she just brought it. You know, she just, uh, she went there fully and completely. And that's what you get when you bring on an Oscar-nominated actress onto your project. And the role was written for her because it was very much a dream of mine from you know, 10 years ago when I met her the first time to work with her. So dreams do come true, as they say. Right. And well, and I, I should have mentioned uh, also Anna Golia, uh, because she is speaking of sort of the, the stars in this universe that are, that are, you talked about orbiting around music. She is, uh, is this kind of quiet determination in her per- performance, her character, mm-hmm is very mm-hmm. quietly determined. She's sort of bucking tradition in some ways. She's following the path that's been laid out for her by others where her mm-hmm. heart is somewhere else in this, in, in where she wants to be. And yet, yes. and yet there's nothing angry about her reaction other than to be a determined person mm-hmm. and to, to, to be respectful. And she does all of those things in a, in a wonderful way. And Turns out she's quite a singer as well. So these are the three people in my mind that are really the focus of the film. Uh, but she's wonderful as Mina. No, no. Originally, um, she had just wanted to come on uh, as a producer, as part of the team, and didn't even consider a part in the role. She wanted to try something different. And I said, no, I think you should be in the movie. And anyway, so that whole conversation happened. And I knew that she had a background in music. And and then that, that character really much represents all of us first generation, uh, you know, sons and daughters of immigrant parents, where, you know, there was that tug of war between following our dreams and, and in pursuit of our artistic desires and going to law school or whatever, you know. So I could certainly relate to that experience very much. And so could the writer. And I, and I think just the, you know, having that kind of cultural representation in the movie is is just sheerly a, a, a direct result of living in a multicultural 
city or growing up in Toronto where, you know, I grew up with Jamaicans and Indians and friends from Poland and all over the world. I guess some of that got reflected and, and uh, uh, projected in the movie. And I think a lot of the actors, especially Shoray, really commented on how unique that was. We didn't really see it as unique. It was just honestly just a, a reflection of our current, of our reality and the way we see the world. But she thought it was very unique to have those cultures all represented in the movie authentically as possible. And um, I'm really proud of that. Yeah, you should be. And you're, that's exactly right. You have Afghan, you have an Afghani uh, cultural influence as well as this Cuban influence as well as, this takes place in Canada, correct? Am yes. Correct? yes. So, so you have this sort of interesting international blend that you wouldn't often think as being in the same, basically in the same cultural frame, but it, but it works very well in this film. And our mind, our listeners, we're speaking with Sergio Navarreta, and he is the director of the new film, The Cuban, which comes out, I believe, on the, is it the 31st? Do I? 31st of July, yes. 31st, so be looking for that. And it'll be a virtual release, which, I, which the whole world is now, a virtual release, right? Uh, and are we looking at the platforms or the different platforms we, we, we're going to be on for this? We had a conventional theatrical release planned, and our plans were derailed after the movie premiered at the Pan-African Film Festival in Los Angeles. That was sort of the kickoff for us, and then we had to pivot. And so I presented the idea of doing a drive-in release. And uh, so in Canada, we're doing... Our first big drive-in release in Toronto, July 20th, and that will kick off a, a nationwide tour. And then in the U.S., we're doing, I think, 30 cities, a combination of uh, actual theaters and cities where it's safe to do so, virtual screenings. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing that in this current climate, we're able to get the film out to, to people. So we're super excited about that. And let's also mention that it's an award-winning film. As you mentioned, the Pan-African Film Festival won an audience award. Yes. As well as winner of the Programmer Award and also Best Cinematography at the, uh, in the Boros competition at the Whistler Film Festival. Correct. And, yeah. And uh, by the way, I just had the a producer of The Grey Fox on a couple of weeks ago. So just as a Canadian reference. Uh, cool. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... That's terrific. That's wonderful. And uh, well, tell me a little bit about your, your film background. You, mm -hmm. uh, as I was reading about your work and you think of yourself as sort of the neorealism school of filmmaking. Tell us a little bit about sort of your philosophy in filmmaking. I grew up watching Italian films as a kid. That was my first exposure to cinema. Uh, my first love was music. So I started when I was very young in music. And then somewhere in my 20s, I had this burning desire to get into film business there was no outlets for me and uh growing up in in toronto it wasn't like i had directors at my disposal so i had this kind of serendipitous freak moment where i met james cameron and he said you want to direct a movie go pick up a camera and make make a movie man and i was like <laughs> okay so i took his advice literally and that's how and uh i ended up making over a small cup of coffee on 35 millimeter that was my first movie Awesome. Well, yeah. Sergio, please come back. The, I, I thoroughly absolutely. This is like I said at the beginning. It's such a warm-hearted film. It is a beautiful film to look at. So there's wonderful sort of technical uh, aspects to it and characteristics. It's just a terrific film. And uh, my congratulations to you and the entire cast. And thank and, you, thank you so much. Again, the film it means a lot. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. The film, again, is The Cuban. We've been speaking with the director and producer as well, Sergio Navarreta. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for all the great work that you do.
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.